tonight. Guess it's about time to come back. But I, I, I have to know. That's right. I gotta know. This, this may be something you are hesitant to admit, but we, we gotta know. Oh, we're here, I'm hearing feedback, huh? Uh-oh. If not, I can go to the other microphone. We'll see if we can get that under control. If not, oh. Well, there we go. That's, that's good. Okay, we gotta, we gotta know each other a little bit better here. This might be hard to admit to, especially if uh, you know, your secret feeling when school was rounding around was excitement. You might be embarrassed to admit that in this crowd, but we gotta find out how many people, right around this time of the year, School's right around the corner. Mom and dad are, are, are taking you to Mervyn's to get school clothes, okay? A new peachy folder. How many of you are feeling just dread? You're thinking, I wish summer would go for the rest of my life. Ah, uh, Joy and Chan, Ola, dread, don't want it. Wayne, a little bit of dread. Okay, you gotta admit, Ida. Dread, you're a teacher. That's not right. You're a teacher. Okay, the rest of you, excitement. You, you'll own it. You were ready to go back. Okay, there you go. Anyway, good to have you here at Hillside. We're so glad. We're going to jump right into our passage this morning. Uh, 1 John 5, 1 through 5. You can find it in the message notes that you got when you came in. And uh, I invite you to follow along as I read just five verses. Listen to these verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is God's word to us today. He's going to speak today. Well, what is this passage basically about? As we try to zero in on John's main concern, it it really helps us to remember the context, remember what we have learned in this series. And of course, as we know, and we see this all the way along in this He Became a series, John's practical concern is supercharged love in the church. That's what he wants. That's what the Spirit of God wants for us at New Hillside. He wants supercharged love in this room. And we also know, because we've seen this all the way along throughout this series, that for John, taking into our hearts and minds the incarnation, which is the central truth of Christianity, that the eternal son of God, who is with God from eternity, became a human being, became a flesh and blood human being, is what makes us capable of that supercharged love. That's the broad context. It's also the immediate context. If you're here a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember that the last two verses of the previous section are another ringing call. And we've had a bunch of these throughout 1 John. Another call for Christians everywhere, including the Christians right here in this room. 
this family to love each other. And to love each other not just in, in words, but in life laid down style where we sacrifice for each other. Well, that context sort of gives us the clue for John's particular concern in these five verses. Now, uh, like John often is, John is coy here. He, he does not completely reveal his hand. And you could say that this passage that we have, these five verses, is sort of a, a little funnel cloud in the big funnel cloud of the whole book of First John. But I think when we read really closely, when we take each word uh, and, and look at it, sift it very closely, we discover that what John's burden is, and we discover that at the vortex is how it is that we can keep that love really flowing here in the church. So let, let's walk through the passage and let's see it. Well, after leading with the incarna- incarnation, and again, that doesn't surprise us, right? That's been John's burden throughout this book. John says that in the second half of verse one, that everyone who loves the father loves the father's other children as well. And then in verse two, he says that we can know that we love these other children. And and obviously he means uh, our Christian siblings, our brothers and sisters, by whether we are, verse two, loving God and obeying his Commandments. In other words, he's saying that deep love for God is a, a, a marker for love of each other, our Christian siblings. Now, let, let's think about this. It's possible that here John really only means to give us a test. Maybe he's giving us some kind of diagnostic test. And it's possible that he's saying no more than this. If you want to know that you love your brothers and sisters in the family, just see whether you love and obey God, okay? It's possible that's what he's saying. That's kind of what the verse is saying. I think he's saying more than that. I think that the test he's giving us includes an instruction. I think what he's saying is this. If you wanna fire up your love for your brothers and sisters in the faith, fire up your love for God. And that, that suggestive style is one that the New Testament writers often employ. Oftentimes, indicative statements, the biblical writers telling us what is contains an implicit imperative, something that we should do, kind of like Wayne talked about last week, joyfully and promptly. And I wanna give you an example. Look at Ephesians 2.10. It's in your notes. I'm gonna read it to you in a different version because it has uh, sort of a fresh ring to it. Listen to this verse. Paul says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Now think about that verse. Don't you think that we would be pretty clueless if the only thing that we were to get out of that statement is that it's somehow an FYI? A a for your information kind of statement. I mean, could God possibly be satisfied if reading that passage, Ephesians 2.10, if our only response were this, good to know, God, very good to know. I've been created anew in Christ to do the good works that you prepared in advance for me to do, so noted. Now will somebody pass the chips, okay? No way. 
That's not what he's saying. The indicative implies an imperative, which is this. He's saying, you know, beloved believers, Beloved children of God, you who are now seated with Jesus in the heavenlies, you who are already someday to inherit a brand new world over which you will reign with Jesus himself, this is what you are to do. Seek out those good things. Seek them out and start to do them. Well, it's the same here with a passage, which means that the real meaning of verses one through two is this. He's saying very simply, to electrify love for our fellow believers, electrify love for God. And that's our first fill-in. That's verses one through two. In other words, to fire up love for our Christian siblings, which is what John wants. He wants a community of people who love each other, who really care for each other, put themselves out for each other, and not resorting to assault when we're hurt or withdrawal when we're hurt, but loving each other, all right? Because he says, in verse one, this is how another verse, version puts it, he says, everyone who loves the parent loves the child. And then moving down to verse three, John explains how we do that, how we electrify that love. Now listen to the verse again. He says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Again, we have an indicative statement here, right? We have a declarative statement. And again, we ask, is he just giving this uh, as an FYI? Is he just giving this to us so that we can collect some information? Is he sort of saying, you know, thought you might want to know that God's commandments are not burdensome, right? Just in case it comes up in Bible uh, trivial pursuit. Is that what he's doing? No, he's not. This is persuasion. And this is John's gentle push to take seriously everything that God has told us in his word in the interest of firing up love. First of all, uh, love for God as we experience his benevolent leadership in our lives. That's what we always discover when we obey God. We always discover he knows what's best. We always discover that he's, he's for us. And as we do that and our hearts swell, well, what happens? We just discover that we love each other all the more. Now, circling back to verse three, look, look, look at that again. Second half has a very interesting line. I'm wondering if, if it got your attention when I read it. It says, and his commandments are not burdensome. Let me ask you a question. When, when I read that passage to start out this message, did that line jump out at you? Yeah. Some of you did. His commandments are not burdensome. And that line stuck out for me too. In fact, in the, the Bible that I have, that's my work Bible, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, just it's as heavy as lead with all my notes and prayers and a pencil marks over many years. I've got that underlined. It's a stunning statement. I mean, think about it. God's commandments are not burdensome. And somebody in staff meeting a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this pointed out, you know, what, a, what a, a helpful statement to share with spiritually curious people. God's commandments are not burdensome. Now, when you hear that, is anybody asking this? They're not? They're not burdensome? Greek word here can mean heavy or severe. So let's think about this. God's commandments are not heavy, severe, 
Three weeks ago, if you were here, we had a message called Between Brady and the Bear. You might remember it. We talked about this first, 1 John 3, 16. Listen to this. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. And in that message, I told uh, the boys from our youth ministry who were in the room, I said that at bottom, this verse means more than that, but, but at bottom, the most meat and potatoes meaning of this verse, which is an echo of something that Jesus the Lord said, is this. I said, if you guys are ever hiking together in Yellowstone National Park, and a grizzly surges out of the bushes, going right for Zach Cox, and Zach Cox's bear spray misfires. I told the guys in the youth ministry, I said, your job is to get yourselves between Zach and that bear. And then I said, and I mean it. I'm not exaggerating at all. That's what God's word is telling us, okay? Well, let's think about that commandment. That's a commandment, right? Is that not a little heavy <laughs> to get yourself between your friend and a charging bear? What about this? This past week, Stephen and Susanna Weissong came into the office. He's been gone a little bit on paternity leave, which is wonderful, showing off this magnificent baby that God has given them. If you have not seen Simon, you are in for a treat. This, this is, hold on to that kid, because a lot of people here would like to take him home, okay? <laughs> My boys need a protege. I was thinking about it. But think about this. What about feeding a squawking newborn in the middle of the night when you are exhausted? Is that not just a little bit heavy? <laughs> I wouldn't know. I almost never did it, but that's a different thing. <laughs> what about this? What about caring for a spouse with dementia? I can think of three hillside men, three hillside mighty men who went to the wall for their wives who were ailing with dementia over many years. Is that not a little heavy? What about spending time with a depressed friend? What about sticking to a budget so that we can give generously to the church? What about committing to being one of the 28 children's team members that we need to get through this next year? We need 28. Serving one hour, two Sundays a month for a year, even if it means being willing to give up the spontaneous trip to Tahoe. Is that not a little heavy? Is that not a little burdensome? What about helping a seventh grader with a book report? Let's do the next day. A book the child didn't read, okay? <laughs> I have heard stories about that. What about befriending a mentally ill person in the Safeway parking lot and then paying for a tow truck for her? You know, as we know, God's fundamental commandment is to love. Well, these are the kinds of actions love requires, right? Are they really not burdensome? And if they are burdensome, is verse three true? Well, of course, verse three is true. Every word in scripture is true. So what is John actually saying? Let me tell you, John is not saying that LLDL, life laid down love for each other. He's not saying it's easy. 
Love is almost never easy. If it's love, it's meeting somebody's urgent need and it requires something of us. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying it's not easy in the abstract. He's saying that as believing people, as born of God people, as new people, we have power, we have capacity because of him to climb that love mountain. And it's for that particular reason that God's commandments are not burdensome. It's not for everybody. It's for people who have been born of him. And that that's John's meaning is plain based on the first word of the next verse. Look at it, look at it, verse, verse four. He says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Emphasis on for. And the Greek word here translated for is also often translated since or because. In other words, God command, God's commandments, especially the commandment to love each other, it's not burdensome because and only because one reason we've been born of God. We're new. We have capacity we never had before. And that's what makes all the difference. You know, a few years ago, you might remember this. The Israeli historian Yuval Noah Harari wrote a book. It was a sequel to the book called Sapiens, which is a bestseller. This was a sequel called Homo uh, Deus. And in this book, he argued that before long, human beings, we all would morph into a brand new species as scientists began implanting chips into uh, our, our, our brains, okay? That is, I, I think, if the chatbots don't uh, take over the world first. Uh, reading a lot about that. Anyway, he argued that homo sapiens, which means wise human, will someday become homo deus, God human. Now, thinking about that, against the backdrop of First John, it occurred to me, John has news for Professor Harari, and it's this, we who have had Jesus implanted into us by faith are already a new human species. We're already different. We are homo Christus. We're Christ human, Christ woman, Christ man. We're already new. We're new because we've been born of God and joined to that God man. Jesus, we have new spiritual life. We've got God's own life coursing through us and it's that life, that power, that person that fuels the obedience, that lights the fuse for greater love for each other. And here again for about the hundredth time we see what the body of Christ means for the body of Christ. It means everything. It means born of God, we can love in ways we've never loved before. So what does this boil down to? Here's what. Number two, to electrify love for God, which we do to electrify love for each other. We obey him. We take his commandments seriously, but we do it in a very particular way. In the power of our new birth personhood. And this always starts with prayer. I am so thankful for the prayer champions at Hillside. Among the many gifts that we have gotten from coming together and becoming a new church, we have gotten a bunch of Navy SEAL prayers from OTC. And I'm noticing this over and over again, this crew constantly calling us to pray, 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 do it. Make it the first thing. Do it with energy, do it with power. You know, Floyd and Jan and Janet have been calling for us to make prayer more central for years. And now they've gotten reinforcements. But here's the prayer that it starts with. We wanna live our new birth personhood. Here's the prayer. It always starts with prayer. Everything starts with prayer. Father, thank you for recreating me in Christ. Thank you for joining me to him. Today I resolve to think 
act and love through him. I've been praying that this week. That's one of the great things about getting to do what Wayne and I get to do. You, you get to soak in this stuff and then you get to live it and see how true and beautiful and life-changing it really is. Now at this point, we could stop. We could all go home. We could go home for waffles. I don't know about you, but there's a rule in the sites home. The first meal after church must involve syrup, okay? <laughs> we don't want a Chinese chicken salad. We like that at dinner. But the first meal after church has to involve syrup, okay? Michelle makes amazing French toast. I, I do wonder about her capacity with, with waffles, okay? <laughs> anyway. We've identified John's topic, how to increase LLDL for each other. That's kind of what he's talking about. And we've learned that it's to draw on the power of our new, per, new birth personhood, the capacity we have, born again, joined to Jesus. Because that leads to greater obedience. That leads to greater love for God as we experience his goodness in our lives. Whenever we obey God, we experience his goodness. And that leads to greater love for each other. We could go home now, that's a lot. But before we head out, can I ask you one more question? Look at verse four again. Let me read it again, the first phrase. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Overcomes the world? Now I thought John was talking about increasing our love for the other guys in our Kairos table group. I thought John was talking about increasing our love for the other people in our home group. I thought John was talking about increasing our love for the other people on our Amazing Race 2324 ministry team. But what's he doing here? It's like he's, he's blown miles past that in talking about overcoming the world. And I was thinking about this, this big leap from verse three to verse four, and a scene in a favorite book came to mind. Maybe you've, you remember this if you've read this book. Early in Lord of the Rings, the fellowship passes through uh, an elven kingdom, kingdom uh, overseen by an elven queen. And at the end of this wonderful visit in which they are nourished and encouraged and shown all this hospitality, the queen, Lady Galadriel, gives each member of this fellowship, a bunch of hikers on a big mission, just like us here at New Hillside, a bunch of presents. And two members get silver belts, one gets a golden belt, one gets a bow, a really exquisite bow. Uh, the unofficial leader of the fellowship gets his fancy sheath for a fancy sword and this big jewel. The humblest member of the party, Samwise Ganji, gets the humblest gift. He receives a box. And the box has soil in it. And the box has one large seed. Now Sam's a humble guy. And he appreciates the gift. But to the reader, the gift of a seed seems pretty underwhelming compared to all the other gifts that the other folks uh, received. Now, if you know the story, you know that what at first seems to be just this paltry kind of lame party favor will prove <laughs> to be something incredible. You see, that seed gift gives Sam the power to undo all sorts of damage in the world and to beautify it. Now, why bring this up? Here's why. Our passage today similarly describes a gift and like Sam's seed, 
It's a gift with far greater significance than we could ever imagine. It means so much more than just loving each other better. Our new birth personhood, our new homo Christus identity is the catalyst. Yeah, for greater LLDL love around here, absolutely. But according to John here, its capabilities go way beyond that. And here's where we get, which for me is a huge surprise of this passage. Our new birth personhood means world overcoming power. That's what he says. World overcoming power, by which he means power to overcome everything that resists God's good purposes for his world. And that's because being born of God means having the eternal life of the eternal son in us. It's the difference between being weak and being strong. It's the difference between being homo sapien and homo Christos. In Ephesians 2, one through 10, Paul says it's the difference between being dead and being alive. And yes, being born of God makes us able to love each other better better than we ever had here at the church. But it also makes us able to pursue every kind of good, every kind of act of justice, every kind of act of creativity that brings nourishment and beautiful beauty to the world outside the church. You know, this past week I was reminded about someone from our history, a Christian brother uh, from centuries ago who, who demonstrated the world overcoming power of his new birth personhood. And let me tell you the story. Back in the fourth century, uh, church had grown, it was huge. It was the, actually the official religion of the Roman Empire, just a few hundred years after Jesus died and rose again. But right around this time, a bunch of bad ideas about the person of Jesus began to circulate throughout the Roman world. Really destructive ideas. So the, the emperor Constantine, who had become a Christian of some sort, called for a meeting of the worldwide church to try to hash this out. And it's now called the Council of Nicaea. Well, they met, the matter got settled, and the people who were pushing these destructive ideas about Jesus got sent packing. Well, everything was fine for a while until like black mold. These ideas began coming back. And this time, the emperor got captured by them. Again, these were ideas that just contradicted the church's earliest beliefs and contradicted the experience and testimony of the people who died proclaiming Jesus. It didn't make any sense at all. Well, there was this guy named Athanasius and Athanasius w was a bishop and he had been at this big meeting in which the true identity with of Jesus had been sorted out. And this guy, and he, 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 he wasn't impressive physically, uh, in fact, he was actually disparaged for the way he looks. If you've ever felt bad about the way you look, you're not strong enough, uh, you don't have great upper body strength like me, whatever. Um, you know, you felt a little embarrassed. Athanasius is your guy, okay? And he knew, he saw with crystal clarity that we can't budge on this. He, he understood that if we budge on who Christ is, the real Christ, the Christ of history, the Christ who the apostles experienced, then Christianity was totally lost. And he knew this because he knew that Christianity is Jesus and to lose his particular identity was to lose everything. Well, to put it mildly, Athanasius went to war for the truth. And he went to war and he kept fighting for the truth even when it seemed like the whole world was against him, he would not give up. And again, he wasn't impressive. He's even a kind of a, a, a weakling uh, like I am. 
And for the next 45 years, he battled. And for the next 45 years, he endured five different exiles, getting uh, uh, sent away from his home in Alexandria for a total of 17 years. One time when he's preaching, a battery of Roman soldiers came into the church to arrest him and throw him to church. You know what his church family did? They surrounded him. They made a big cloud around him, allowing him to sneak out the back uh, into the desert where some friendly monks hid him. And I want to tell you right now, we the staff are hoping that if that ever happens, you will do the same for us, okay? <laughs> Just saying that now. But Athanasius would not give up on the central truth of Christianity, that the eternal son became a human being, and in so doing, he truly overcame the world. And although he didn't live to see it, in 381, there was a second worldwide meeting of the church, and in that meeting, the view of Jesus that Athanasius fought for for 45 years, the view of Jesus that the apostles had and proclaimed and died for became the official position of the entire church and has been ever since the entire Christian church, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant. Everybody agrees on this. The doctrine that the Son of God who became a human being was the divine Son and more specifically the eternally divine Son of one substance with the Father. But here's what I love about this example. We come up with a lot of examples of, of, of world over, overcoming commitment. But let, think about this one. Athanasius overcame the world by drawing upon the very truth that he was fighting to preserve. The very one. That the eternal son became us. And because he became us, entirely new lives are possible for us joined to him. You know, I think our greatest need, well, I know this personally, greatest need I have, maybe the greatest need we have is to understand, to avail ourselves of our new birth personhood. We are not what we used to be. And like we talked about, you know, born of God, we can obey more fully. And that leads to loving God more deeply as we see all of his good in our lives. And that in turn leads to loving each other more devotedly. And that leads to supercharged love here at New Hillside. But we also see here in verses four through five, I think the great surprise of the passage, that just loving each other more doesn't even begin to exhaust what new birth personhood really means. Our born of godness equips us to overcome the world in the grandest sense. Everything that opposes God and his loving purposes for human beings because we have Christ inside us. And for Athanasius, it meant overcoming catastrophically deficient views of Christ. Ideas that if they had won out, the church would have just ceased to be. Views that would kill the church. For Martin Luther, it meant overcoming diminished views of scripture and salvation. For Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Corey Ten Boom, it meant overcoming demonic Nazism. For Martin Luther King Jr., it meant overcoming demonic racial hatred. For Gary Haugen and his crew of the International Justice Mission, the preeminent abolitionist organization in the world today and a Christian organization run by evangelicals, it means overcoming slavery throughout the world. For someone eventually, it will mean overcoming a medical establishment that thinks it's right to perform mayhem on healthy children. For somebody else, it will mean overcoming political movements that say, you know, Sometimes it's okay to do violence to get your purposes across. Until the king comes back, there will always be sinister things, dehumanizing things for Jesus' people to overcome, not with force, but with Jesus' own 
turn the other cheek love. And thankfully, because of our new birth personhood, we can overcome them. To return to Sam Ganji for a moment, his gift was a seed in a box. And the gift meant everything. You know, he'll end up planting that seed and he will grow a spectacular tree. Guess what? We Christians are all Sam Ganges. Every single one of us. We too have been given a powerful seed. And John says this explicitly in 1 John 3, 9. Listen to this. Those who have been born of God do not sin because God's seed abides in them. They cannot sin because they have been born of God. Friend, the seed is Christ. And if you know him by faith, that seed is in you. And that seed transforms us all, our basic nature. It turns us from loveless to loving. It turns us from cowardly to courageous. It turns us from homo sapien to homo Christos. And it's something that enables ever more LLDL within Hillside. It really does, but it allows for even more than that. Seeking as God gives us opportunity in our time and place right here to seek his compassionate purposes outside the church as well. That's who we are. That's how we can live. Let's, let's do this. Let's close. Wayne has been encouraging us to, to, to take time in the service seriously as time to explore. And I, I think it's, he's, he's, he's right. Let, let's do this for a few minutes. You know, exploration is a small group practice that we engage in at Hillside. And basically, in exploration, after we have connected, after we've studied the word together, we, 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 we put, close the Bible. And in a, a, a spirit-aware mode, a prayerful mode, we ask each other this question. It's a basic question. Because we're disciples. We say to each other, I might say uh, to Don, I might say to Mark, I might say to Ola, how do you sense the living Lord is calling you to follow him? Because that's the question, right? We're disciples. We're following Jesus the King. So here's the question. Take 30 seconds, 45 seconds in silence to ask this question in group exploration. How do you sense the living Lord is calling you to use the gift of your new birth personhood? What is he saying? Let's stand together. Father, we are awestruck by the truth of this passage which seems so simple on the surface but which has such depth. We want to live the reason for our redemption. We want to realize the potential of our new birth. 
We want to seek you and abide in you, like the song Wes led, more deeply, so that we can obey you more fully, so we can love you more passionately, so we can love each other in a deeper way. And also in our new birth personhood, we want to be courageous and in the distinct style of your son, advance your purposes in the world, which don't match with anything else on offer at the moment, but are yours and yours alone. Make us brave, make us courageous, make us truthful, make us distinctly Jesus-like in all that you call us to do. Make us one. Thank you, thank you. We pray in the name of Jesus, the one to whom we are joined. Amen.